Cathedral Studios production. I'm Lewis. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. And this is Living Communion. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us for our second episode, Living Communion. Let's begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is a reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest mountain and raised above the hills. All nations shall stream toward it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us climb the Lord's mountain to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may instruct us in his ways and we may walk in his paths. For from Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and impose terms on many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. One nation shall not raise the sword against another, nor shall they train for war again. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wow. Powerful start. Um, Very beautiful passage, and very relevant passage, because today we're going to be talking about the prophets, and the role that the prophets have played in shaping how we understand the faith. Um, I think last time we started, we we ended off talking about Moses and Moses is like the arch prophet, I think is a description that people use to describe Moses. Um, But the first of many. Um, So Mark, can you talk to us a little bit about who are the prophets, right? After Moses, comes others, but who are these others that come after Moses? Sure. Uh, Let me say a few things about the classic pre-exilic prophets in particular. And I think the the passage that Matt read and prayed for us was particularly relevant because in it, uh, the author of Isaiah is laying out this uh, beautiful vision of the world in which God's sovereignty is known by all and acknowledged by all. And because of that, there is a peace. You know, nations no longer go to war and they, they turn their, their spears into uh, pruning hooks. Okay. So uh, th- that is uh, the, uh, the, the end point, if you will, of, uh, Catholic social teaching moving forward, oh, about 2,500 years or more, okay? So, but, but let me say that as a prelude to talking about the, the classic prophets, the classic pre-exilic uh, prophets. 
the first thing to understand about, or, or to put them into historical context, is to understand that Israel and Judah, the, the southern and northern kingdoms, uh, during the times uh, prior to their being exiled, Israel in the, the nation of Israel in the 8th century, the nation of Judah in the 6th century, both were prosperous, and, but both were ruled by almost without exception by bad kings. Okay? So uh, this, uh, this situation is what uh, precipitated the rise of the prophets in the first place. Because the first thing I think it's important to notice about these prophets is that they are, in, in a, a very important sense, conservative men. Conservative in the sense that they want to conserve, preserve the uh, promises of the Mount Sinai covenant. The covenant that had, made be, had been made between God, Moses, and the chosen people in the desert. And in that uh, sacred agreement, both sides, both parties had made promises and the, the chosen people had promised that they would, A, worship only God. They would have no other gods before them. They would obey the law, the Torah. They would enter into no uh, alliances, military alliances with foreign nations because to enter into an alliance with a foreign nation is to enter into an alliance with their gods as well. And finally, they agreed that they would practice social justice. They would take care of the poor, the widows, and the orphans among them. The prophets understood deeply what the, these promises meant. Uh, and, but at the same time, the prophets also understood the times in which they lived. Uh, they were men of insight more than foresight. We tend to think of the prophets as guys who predicted the coming of Jesus 750 years in advance. Yeah. Uh, that, is, that is a process that took place after Jesus had already, <clears throat> had already been on this earth where his followers looked back into the Hebrew scriptures and found there uh, you know, uh, uh, verses and stories and, and, and images that they said, oh, Jesus was the fulfillment of these. So uh, rather than calling the prophets uh, men who could predict, you know, things 700 years in advance, they were instead men of great insight. They understood the times in which they lived. And in particular, they understood that the chosen people weren't living up to the promises they had made in the covenant. They were constantly falling into the practices of the, the Canaanites and the other so-called pagan religions uh, around them. Um, they were not observing Torah. They were entering into foreign alliances. Um, Israel, an alliance with Egypt, um, Judah in alliance with, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Israel in alliance with Babylon, Judah in alliance with Egypt. 
And of course, to enter into those alliances mean you also enter into alliance with their gods. But especially the prophets understood that the, the people of Israel and Judah were not practicing social justice. So here's just one example. This is from the prophet Amos. He says, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. So they understood that the, the chosen people were not living up to the covenant that they had made with God. And here, then the next step is where you see the great courage of the prophets. Mm. Uh, they called out both the leaders and the people of their time mm. for their sins. They were fearless. Um, and at the same time, they warned of imminent punishment that if, if things didn't change, if the chosen people didn't shape up and you know, change their act, that God was going to punish them. And as a matter of fact, that happened in the form of Assyria against the nation of Israel and Babylon against Judah. In addition to that, they also pointed out that without the practice of justice, the worship of the chosen people was, mm. was rendered meaningless. So again, this is from Amos, where he says, and he's speaking for God. He's, you know, the, the voice of God says mm. this, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and cereal offerings, I will not accept them, and the peace offerings of your fatted beasts I will not look upon. So the prophets were saying, if, uh, if you're not practicing social justice, then your worship is uh, null and void, okay? And the last thing that, to note about the prophets, at least in this context, is the response that they received. As you can imagine, people who come before kings and come before people and say, hey, you better change your ways, are not well received. They were either ignored, ridiculed, told to go away, persecuted, but universally met uh, negatively. And as we know from reading the Hebrew scriptures, the people did not change. The punishment did come. So the takeaway from all of this that, that I see in, in the context of uh, Catholic social teaching is the necessity, and I mean necessity, of social justice in order to be in right relationship with God. Another way of saying that is that we do not love God as we should if we don't love and care for God's people as we should. And that means especially those who are the most vulnerable members of society. There is a one-to-one -one linkage there, love of God mm. and love of neighbor, especially love of uh, the most vulnerable and marginalized people in society. And it's that call 
from the prophets that is taken up in contemporary uh, social teaching. Yeah, that was beautiful. I think one of the interesting things about that connection is it, I think when Catholics, Christians maybe in general, but I think especially Catholics who may not have, unfortunately, although we hear the, the Bible read potentially every day when we go to mass or, or on Sundays, hopefully at least, um, we, we are not fully engaging, I think, in the, in the full trajectory of the story of the people of God in the Old Testament. And I think that gives us, when we reflect on things like the Old Testament laws and commandments, we have a very thin view of the commandments and like the covenantal life of the people. But the way you've just presented it is, is like a thick view of the covenant, right? Kind of like what we talked about before as it relates to the Mosaic covenant. Um, this is not simply that God requires them to fulfill these basic commandments in this very legalistic fashion, but he's actually crafting a culture. And so when people are mistreating people in the community, they are, they are tra- the transgression is so connected to the, and that's why when they're still even offering, and this goes so against our view, we would think, oh, well, they're still offering God, like what God wants. So why isn't it like, don't want them to get like partial credit. <laughs> like, I think this is like the way we would think about it. Like, Hey, like at least it's kind of, it reminds me of like some, how a lot of Catholics may feel like, like charity. I, I think I can, I think many Catholics can relate to that view, like doing, doing charitable works or doing works, uh, of bring about a more just society seems so disconnected from the liturgical practices. And I'm sure like, I could imagine the people of God at that time thinking the same thing. They're like, Hey, we have the sacrifices on lock. God must be overjoyed. He must be like, man, these are the most faithful. Like, I'm sure they were very confident. I'm sh- that's probably why they didn't like the prophets. Not because they were like, wow, we're doing a really bad job right now. We're really messing up badly. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure they did not yeah. feel that way, you know? Yeah, they, they thought they were doing fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, but what they were missing was this, uh, the, the reality that a transgression mm. against the poor is a transgression against God, and uh, you know, and, and and the you know the the chosen people just just missed that, and sadly, you know, that connection is not always made in this day and age either. Yeah, and it's tough. Like, oh, go ahead, sorry. But I just want to give a, a couple of follow up comments. Um, one is. Um, I know we get so uncomfortable sometimes about the the words social justice. Yes. yes. You know, and part of that is, you know, people use them differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you hear them bandied about by people with very um, non-Catholic inclinations who, you know, it, it almost sounds like it's Marxism or communism or something, which the Catholic Church is very clear that we, we don't support that. <laughs> you know, but... When we talk about social justice, it just means justice in society, having right relationships within the social sphere. Um, and the church understands that as ordered according to our nature and vocations, um, who we're created to be and what we're called to be. Um, so in the Catholic church, it's kind of actually a very tame concept, um, or at least it should be. Um, and... My, my other comments have to, have to do with um, kind of this follow-up on God and, and loving the poor and caring for the poor. And, you know, we're, we're taught that God loves us like a father, even more so, you know, more than any parent could ever love any child. Imagine your reaction 
if you find out that one of your children is being bullied or picked on or neglected or abused or exploited, um, how would you react? You know, when it talks about the wrath of God, um, you know, God's jealous anger, it's because God loves all of his people. (laughs) Um, And when people are picked on in a sense or exploited or abused, God is rightfully upset. Um, just as, as we hopefully would be on the behalf of one of our children. Um, I'm talking about this, you know, liturgical practice being separated from, from social justice is, um, it is, it, you know, we, we do that. We, we want to say, oh, I've, I've made things right. You know, I've done, I've done my job. Um, like, it's transactional. Like, I do this, I get this from God. Uh, it's like, no, no, God wants the fullness of life for us. And that means that for some people to have a fuller life, we have to sacrifice things that um, we don't actually need and find out that we actually have a fuller life when we are sacrificing, because that makes us more like God, when we are giving things away that we, we don't need, which isn't even actually sacrifice. It's, it's justice, according to the church, when you give away what you don't need. It's sacrifice when you give away something you actually do need. Yeah, and, um, and I think one of the things, too, is like, it's in, in, the, in the prophet, when the prophets are bringing their, their exhortation, when they're bringing the word of God to people, I love how they paint, they paint an image of kind of like what you were saying. It's like, it's almost like they are calling, they're not calling people to doing what we would call. So for instance, we were just, we were talking about social justice as being tamer maybe than other visions of social justice. The things that God, that God seems to be calling people to through the prophets seems to be like, have an awareness of your humanity. Like see your see the people who you're around, how you're interacting with them. Don't have this. It's it's like you know. And I can I can again. I'm feeling. You you always feel. I think you should always feel convicted when you when you reflect on the scriptures in a sense. But are we really viewing what God's calling us to in, in the fullness of what God's calling us to, or do we simply reduce it to fulfilling certain exterior actions? God's calling us, like you were saying, like in the covenant. God did this radical act in bringing people out of slavery, this radical act in, set, in bringing them into this place of prosperity, harmony, and, and kind of uh, their own land, their own place to be. He, he had carved out a space for them. And then they're kind of like, all right, we're good now. And they're like, we got the sacrifice. All right, we're good. And I think that type of mentality, and like you were saying, social justice, if people are presented with the fact, with what social justice represents in a biblical sense, in a in a in the in the traditional sense, I can't imagine how anyone, no matter what your pers- perspective is, could disagree with that and not kind of be kind of questionable. Because it's like, <laughs> what is <laughs> what could be wrong? I've never encountered somebody who says we shouldn't help people who are in need. But I think when it comes down to how you, how does that apply to you and your actions yeah. as an yeah. actual, real, tangible manifestation? It's right, kind of, and it, I think yeah. well, and, and, and as Matt said, how do you how do you create a society? Yes, 
that is just, you know, uh, that, that creates a lot of um, discussion oh, yeah. and disagreement. You know, uh, the, the just society uh, is, is viewed in many, many different ways. But, you know, you were talking about religious formalism and religious formalism is a temptation always, you know, that as long as I, you know, do my duty and, you know, and, and, and go to church and uh, don't kill anybody and don't steal, then I, I'm doing, then that's enough. And the prophets say quite dramatically, no, that's not enough. Yeah. And, and, and Jesus said the same thing. No, no, th- yeah. that, you know, that, that is not enough. Um, there's a deeply, deeply personalist yeah, uh, aspect <laughs> both the prophets and we're, we're we will be talking about the uh the ministry of jesus too you know where where it, first and foremost it's it's about people and it's about people having the opportunity to have the life they deserve to have and to and to thrive and to make yeah. a contribution to society and you know that's what that's what the prophets railed against the people, yeah, uh, for you know for not observing that, for not even wanting that. I was really gonna say I was actually gonna say that that it's such a this is a big word. So hopefully everyone anthropologically deficient and just meaning <laughs> this is <laughs> way yeah. of viewing the world. And basically by that mm-hmm. I'm saying like it's a way of viewing the world where you're like you don't really see people's personhood, right? The way that you can actually have this like formalism, this just, oh, I can just go through the motions. I can just give God the sacrifice and he's not going to care about, you know, this other person uh, who's beside me or my family members even or whatever, because it's just really about my relationship with God. Doesn't recognize what God had done in calling together a community what God has done in forming and and even, even our humanity, how we're so connected that there's no way that you can simply do something on a purely individualistic level. Like, right. I'm sorry, but if you want to go even back, you know, to what we were talking about last week about Genesis, you know, if we really understood, Mm. really, really understood that each and every person is created in the very image of God. If we really understood that, how could we not, Treat them with yeah. justice. Yeah. And so, so you were, I was going to say, Matt, you, if you share your thought for sure, but tell us after your thought, tell us, <laughs> tell us, tell us what happens next. So we have the prophets, right? We yeah. have these persons who call us to our personhood, so to speak. But actually, they call us to, to fidelity, uh, as Mark was saying, fidelity to this covenant that God had given to the people. And so that's this prophets. What happens next in the story of, of our? Yeah. So it's dangerous to ask me multi-parted questions, <laughs> but uh, I, you know, you, you mentioned fidelity to our personhood and fidelity to the covenant. And I would argue that the same thing, Yeah. Um, because the covenant is about bringing us back to who we're created to be, who God wants us to be, made us to be. Um, but, uh, you know, Mark, Mark brought up, and, you know, you were talking about worship earlier, the, the concept of a, a just society. And, you know, we'll, we'll be talking about this in, in, at the end of this episode or maybe the next episode, depending on how long it, it takes to get through all these things. <laughs> um, 
you know, the, the kingdom of God is kind of the, the church's vision of what a just society looks like, because it's, it's God's society. It's when everyone is following God. Um, you know, so we, we kind of have a, a vision for that. And what is, what is the height of the kingdom of God on earth? It's the mass. It's the Eucharist, right? The source and summit of our, of our faith is, is the Eucharist. And think about what the mass is. It's all of God's people called and brought together to hear God's word, to respond to that word with our, our prayers and petitions, our sacrifices, our offerings, which are all taken up in the Eucharist and joined to Christ and um, sanctified. And we are, are brought into Christ and, and sanctified through, through communion, through living communion. We're sent out to live communion. How do we create a more just society? By living communion. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I get a star or an extra point for <laughs> the podcast name here, but that's really the point is that we, we live this communion that we're called to, um, that is expressed in our worship. So how are social justice and worship connected? Why are they so disjointed? They shouldn't be because mm. the mass is the one place in the world, the one place in society where rich and poor, old and young, sick and healthy, black, white, yellow, purple, green, orange, whatever color you may be, um, men and women, um, you know, sinners and saints all come together because we are all God's family and we are all united in God. And, and there's two passages from Scripture I'm thinking of as, as, as I'm talking about this. One is St. Paul in his letter, first letter to the Corinthians, where he rails against the Corinthians for the divisions they have in their liturgical practice. The rich and the poor mm. are separated, and their distinctions are being upheld instead of being subverted to their worship. And he is livid about it, um, rightfully so. And the other is a, a, one of the parables of Jesus. And it's about people who come to, to the king. You know, they're knocking on the door. Lord, Lord, let us in. He's like, I tell you, I don't know you. What do you mean you don't know us? We, we ate and drank with you. We, we spoke your words in the streets. And he says, amen, amen, I see you. I do not know who you are. And that's what the prophets are, are saying in a sense to, to God's people. Yeah. And right before you, you, uh, you ate said, and drank with me and you spoke my words, but so what? Yeah. And just to, and just as you were speaking, like, um, I was just thinking like the, and I love how you, how you brought that point up because definitely all throughout like this idea of justice, right? We have an idea of justice now that's very simply horizontal it doesn't have the vertical, it doesn't have the realization of the vertical element of justice as it relates to how our duty to God and, per and other persons are intrinsically connected. Intrinsic, there, there's just, a, there's just mm -hmm. a, a living connection, living community. There's the living connection there. Um, <laughs> a living community, man. No, I'm not going to try to throw it in. A living connection there. And 
you know, I think, I think as Catholics, we can often become unbalanced. We're like, okay, well, am I going to be more of this? And I think this is one of the things it's like, if we really are fully, if we really had that internalization of God's will, and I think this is what the prophets are always calling people. The prophets are always, and it's so beautiful and the inspiration of God is so clear in how they're calling them to this true fidelity, right? It's not an ideological fidelity. Like the prophets don't come with any ideological agenda, right? Although I'm sure that if you went his history, you can learn more about their background and all the things that they had brought to their message. But at the same time, God's will expressed is so blunt, fulfill everything, do it all, do it all. Yes. Is it challenging to renounce maybe your personal desires and to do it all as a community, as a, as a family, as a person, probably it is, but do it because this is God's will. And this is what's so powerful about it. I think is that, you know, you see, you see them call them to fidelity to liturgical worship. You see them call them fidelity to their neighbor and to, uh, and to, and to creating a whole culture of justice, right? Not just a one-sided or one or off balance justice. I think it's so interesting that I think that religious formalism happens so easily because it's easier to go through the motions of that than to go through the motions of helping somebody. It's hard to say, I'm just going to go through the motions of helping these people and just do that forever. Like I think (laughs) at some point you have to say that this person really likes to help people or something like, but I think with, (laughs) but I think with the religious formalism, it's easier for that to come into a culture and just kind of like exist um, as like just an element of their, just like how when you introduce any kind of practice or habituation, but it's harder with a person because the people like react. And even though God, of course, his person is a person his personality in the truest sense most deepest realest sense of that meaning in a way um i think that it's easier for people to just go through the motions with that although the prophets are always saying just like you were saying and just like we know in our faith like the actually in, in especially in terms of the church from the liturgy our our whole ability to truly live out that fullness actually that's where it comes from and uh, well hopefully we're going to get one day into those that era of documents but um but yeah, that's yeah, powerful thoughts, Matt. Thanks for that. All right. So uh, continuing the story from the prophets, um, we're gonna we're just gonna skip over um, some some other history and and go to um, the Roman Empire and uh, what's sometimes referred to as the scandal of particularity, which which applies to the Old Testament as well. And it's this idea we've been talking about that um, God doesn't love us for for what we do. Um, God loves us because God is love. And God chooses, out of all the peoples in the Old Testament, this guy in a tribe named Abraham and his wife Sarah. And and then he, he continues to choose them when they're enslaved. And continues to support them when they've been exiled because they were dumb enough not to listen to God and God's prophets and all these other things. God picks a a particular people to reveal himself to. And then God picks a particular place and time to become human, Um, which is amazing Uh, when when we think about this that God, who is all-powerful, who is existence itself, the ground upon which everything else exists, um, would choose to become part of 
God's own creation. Um, and not just in the most powerful, majestic way, but actually be conceived and born in, in a womb and, and passed through the birth canal and raised in a stable um, as part of an oppressed people who are conquered and as part of a poor family that is part of that people in a town that almost no one has heard of and those who have heard of it make fun of it um, as it's made fun of in scripture. Uh, what good can come from there? Um, you know, and, and then has to go on the run shortly afterwards because someone's trying to kill him. Uh, this is not how we would expect God. If, if I were God, would I have come up with that plan? I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I would have been like, you know, may, maybe it'd be a little showy to be a king, but at least middle class, you know, uh, you know, maybe Duke, I don't know. Um, you know, uh, it, it's a very different approach, but God hands over control. God is poor. God lives like us, or even more appropriately, God lives like those who live in the third world. Um, Because the Roman Empire was the height of civilization at the time. And, you know, there there were certain amenities that weren't re-achieved for for centuries after the fall of Rome. But um, growing up in, in Nazareth and Capernaum and Bethlehem would have looked a lot more like parts of the third world than it would have looked like the first world today. Um, you know, no indoor plumbing. Well, actually the Romans did have indoor plumbing, but I don't think it reached out there. Um, I didn't know that. But actually, what? <laughs> I yeah. actually didn't know that. Anyway, <laughs> historical tangents aside. Um, but even more amazing is that um, God does something that's categorically different than anything we can do. We can identify with with other people. We can put ourselves in their shoes. But we already suffer. We already are limited. God goes from being all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good, all basically any any good adjective you can can put in there, just, merciful, loving, um, and becomes human, becomes limited, frail, finite, um, susceptible to suffering, um, has to endure sin and evil. Uh, You know, as it says in in, um, the letter to the Philippians, he took the form of a slave. Uh, He became human, taking on human likeness. He subjected himself even to death, death on a cross, um, this is the love that God gives us by, by becoming human. And it's the love we're called to imitate, um, as, as we've been talking about. Um, and that's actually why my, my wife and I chose that um, passage from the Philippians as the second reading at our wedding, um, because we, we want to imitate that. Um, God does all this out of love, um, God doesn't come to save us by showing up as a knight or as a, as a king or as a, 
you know, divine majesty figure on clouds with lightning bolts um, to, to kind of scare us into submission. God comes as one of us to invite us, to show us his love. Um, this is um, what we, we talk about um, when, when I use the words incarnational solidarity. So the incarnation, taking on human flesh, be, taking on a human nature. Um, and, and solidarity, you know, like social justice is sometimes used um, as, as a word in society that makes some people nervous. Um, but in, in the Catholic world, my, my favorite kind of summation of solidarity comes from Pope St. John Paul II. Yeah. In the encyclical Solicitudo Re Socialis. And, and he says that it's not a vague inclination or, or kind of a, a, you know, sort of well-wished desire um, for, for people's good, but a firm disposition, a firm resolution, perseverance in, in working for the good of the other. Um, in a sense, solidarity is, is part of the virtue of love. Um, we work for the good of the other. Matt, like exactly what you're saying reminds me of how in some ways, well, I think in definitely in a typological way or in, a, in kind of like a foreshadowing way, the prophets were like, they were like images to us of someone who fully tries to dedicate themselves to the will of God, even in the sense of giving themselves because they had to suffer they had to pretend they had to, they were, they were not just hardship, but obviously ridicule uh, in, in terms of just being rejected. And, but at the same time, they're doing it out of a sense of dedication to God's will and almost a sense of, again, love for the community um, in a sense and for the common good. But then Christ totally takes that mold and perfects it to a super abundant kind of like just an infinite way. He doesn't just, you know, go out of his way by leaving this part of the town to go to this other part of the town. Or he doesn't just displace himself from one part of Israel to Judah or what something like that. But he actually comes literally to become man mm -hmm. out of solidarity. I have a firm love. I have a true love for the other that we see imaged in a certain way in the prophets, but I think is so perfected in Christ and also reminds us of our call baptismally um, in Christ to do as Christ does and as the prophets, but then more so as Christ who does it in an even better way. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. we're, we're called to live in solidarity exactly. with, with one another. Mm -hmm. And that's one, you know, one of the foundational principles of, of the social justice teaching is to live in solidarity, to live as uh, the title of the series is so aptly named in, in communion. To live yes. in communion with each other. Three times. We, we've all podcast. said it. We've all said it. <laughs> Three times. There it is. Yeah. So, uh, you know, one, one of the things that Jesus shows us, and, and this will, I guess, be where we start our, our next episode, is um, God's love, obviously. But, you know, we believe that Jesus Christ is the fullness of God's revelation. So I'm sure mm -hmm. that's kind of where we'll, where we'll pick up next time, talking about um, what that, what that means, but Jesus shows us who God is and Jesus shows us who we are because Jesus is fully human and fully divine. So at the one of the same time, Jesus reveals 
God and humanity. God shows us who we are, who we are called to be, and who God is, because we're made in God's image and likeness. It all kind of comes together really well. Um, and um, that's where, you know, we're, we're, you know, again, we always have a takeaway, right? What's, what's the takeaway? And, um, you know, we, we love God. We love the poor, um, you know, and, and Jesus does this, you know, and what does that, what does that solidarity mean for us? We, we talked about, um, you know, relationships. So when we talk about this, there's some words from our tradition, again, solidarity, preferential option for the poor. Pope Francis talks a lot about accompaniment. And, and the ground of all of those, I think, is relationship, being willing to be in relationship with other people. Um, and I, I, you know, have experienced this from my various, you know, experiences in a Catholic worker community, working at a homeless center, um, going abroad and, and doing um, study abroad and, and a service trip and, um, you know, having a sister parish in Guatemala, that these relationships are really important because who we love affects who, what we care about, um, what our heart desires um, is, is strongly attached to the people we love. And, and the issues we care about are strongly attached to um, how they affect the people we love most. Um, so we have to build relationships. We have to listen to people and their needs um, and try to understand them and trust that, that people know what their own needs are and, and maybe even know what the solutions are with, or possible solutions without us coming and you know, saving them. You know, we, we've talked about this, uh, this is part of the Catholic Campaign for Human Development. A big part of that is prioritizing the voices of marginalized communities. Um, helping to uphold their dignity and their ownership of, of control in their lives. What, what do they say they need? How do they want to approach solving the problems? Not just us coming in and saying, you know what you need? You need X, Y, or Z. And they're saying, no, 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 no. That's not what we need. Um, you know, we need to listen. And so, you know, takeaways for how, so how do we actually do this? Um, I, I think big ones are, um, you know, this, what, what Mark said, um, God loves us all. We've got this unbreakable, unfathomable, unconditional love from God. And St. Alberto Hurtado, who was a Chilean Jesuit, um, talked about, about this, that um, this is a quote from him. Sometimes we um, worry um, that um, we waste time helping the poor or that they're not worth the trouble. Wasted time? God, for one of them, came down from heaven and died. You know, when we think about how much God loves us, it's easy to, to let it end there. God loves me so much that God died for me. That's hard enough for us to, to kind of grasp. But now think about it. God loves the person you love least enough to die for that person. God loves your enemy. God loves the person you find inconvenient. God loves um, whoever it may be um, so much that God would die for that person and that person alone. Um, there's a, a famous quote that we love God as much as the one that we love least. 
um, which I think is the point that the prophets were <laughs> trying to point out. So how do we do this? Love our families. Um, we got, you got to love your family. Um, and meet someone who makes you uncomfortable. That would be my takeaway. Love your family to the best of your ability and meet people who are not like you. Start building relationships with them. Try to listen, try to learn, be uncomfortable. Yeah, great. Mark, what are your takeaways? Well, uh, they go a lot along the same lines as what uh, Matt just said. I mean, to, to think about uh, divinity living within or coexisting with uh, with humanity says a lot both about God and about us. So, you know, the fact that uh, Jesus, you know, came to earth as a human being who is the fullest revelation of God should make us want to pay very close attention to what he valued and what he did. And uh, we should, you know, pay attention to that and want to imitate that. And he was pretty clear. No, no, he wasn't pretty clear. He was very clear about, you know, uh, what, what we need to do and uh, how we need to do it. Uh, you know, he, he challenged the, the Roman Empire uh, through a, a nonviolent you know, movement that has come to be called the reign of God. He wanted to see the reestablishment of the reign of God in Israel and the Romans be gone, but not through uh, a force of arms uh, and not through tyranny, not through oppression, but through simple acts of healing and sharing meals and trusting in God alone, wandering, not having a lot of possessions and in treating everyone as an equal. So, you know, Jesus spent a lot of his time with the ne'er-do-wells of society, everything from lepers and prostitutes to Samaritans and women and children and tax collectors. And so, you know, in, in, in watching that, it's, it's our call to, you know, emulate that um, uh, because, at the, at the end of the day, what Jesus was trying to say through his reign of God preaching is that uh, the way to bring about peace on earth is through justice, is through treating all as equals, through making sure that everyone is fed and everyone is healed, as opposed to what the Romans thought peace was, which was peace through military victory and domination. And so those are two very, very different uh, models. But uh, that's what you know, Jesus taught, that's what Jesus did, that's what Jesus died for in a nonviolent way. And I think we need to pay very close attention to that uh, when, when we look at you know, the, when we look at incarnational solidarity. Mm. Powerful. My takeaway, um, as a takeaway action, I won't uh, go through what we just talked about, which was great reflections just from Matt and Mark on that. But I think that one thing that you can do, listeners, is one act 
random act of kindness to someone you do not know in reparation for the brokenness of our social relationships. And one of the major things that um, the prophets called people to do is to be aware of the broken relationships that exist, no matter how they have been broken, whether it's through exploitation, whether it's through unjust treaties or whatever is happening um, at that time, offer up this act for the reparation for just society in our time. Um, and you don't have to, even though it's great to form relationships, for this random act, I'm giving you the latitude to just do it anonymously even if necessary. Uh, <laughs> but just think about uh, doing it as an act of reparation for the brokenness of our society. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to having you again as we continue the story here on Living Communion. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave us a comment there. Like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much for Living Communion. This has been a Cathedral Studios production.